Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I hope you're having a great day today. I have the pleasure of introducing you to Roger Zalnaritis, the CEO of Mod Street. Mod Street makes parklets, outdoor seating and living spaces for restaurants and municipalities uh, across the U.S. I actually sit on their board and they're doing such cool things. And Roger has such a great story about being a first time CEO that I wanted him to share that story with you. He spent most of his career in economic development and decided that he wanted to see what the other side was like so he could be better at economic development. And so he joined Mod Street. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Roger. All right, welcome back everyone. I have the one and only Roger Zalneritis with me, CEO at Mod Street. Roger, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Carrie. There's actually two of me. My dad's got the same name, but I get it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Two. One of the only two. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There uh, you all go. right. So, so tell us a little bit about Mod Street. What do you do and why is it different than your competitors? Great. Yeah, happy to. So Mod Street makes parklets. Parklets, you've probably seen them in the cities now. They are those outdoor dining areas that restaurants adopted during the pandemic. And uh, I like to say that we are a pandemic baby because that's where the idea came out of. But what we're seeing right now is the demand for on-street dining is continuing and growing throughout the country. It's just something people like to do. Um, so the company was founded to help businesses survive, but now it's about helping those businesses thrive. Our parklets are um, steel fabricated and they're powder coated. Um, they have 25 year composite flooring that goes into them. All of this talks about being safe because it's more likely to withstand a car crash than those wooden ones that you often see. They're modular, so you can set them up in an hour or less. So there's really no downtime with them once you receive them. And they're durable. With the powder coating and the steel, they're gonna last 10 or 15 years. A lot of the wooden ones you see out there right now are gonna last one or two years by comparison. So we really have a product that's built for longevity and has made a big impact so far, both in Colorado, where we're from, and uh, throughout the country. We're now literally coast to coast from Florida to California. That's great. And so I, this begs the question, you know, what mm -hmm. happens after COVID? I mean, we're, we're, we're essentially through the pandemic, at least a lot of people would like to think we are, uh, me included. And yeah. are restaurants going to sustain this? Are there other things that you're doing to, uh, to expand your offerings besides just to restaurants looking for parklets? Sure. We, um, a lot of our work has actually been with municipalities and downtown associations. And what we're seeing right now is uh, a change the downtown downtowns are considering at this point and neighborhood centers are considering moving from, okay, this is a pandemic. How do we keep things open to, wow, we need to transition our communities to be more pedestrian oriented, to be mul more multimodal. So we used to call it, you know, just the parklets, but it's a whole uh, concept of curbside management that's coming into play right now. The curb isn't just for parallel parking anymore. It could be for bikes. It could be for bus stops. It could be for parklets. Um, for dining, for events, it can be for a variety of different uses. So we have started with one type of use, but certainly in the future, we're thinking of what other types of uses complement our goals here as a um, company that wants to help re-envision what our communities look like. Yeah, that's great. And how did you get involved with the company? You know, it's, it's a funny story. It was just um, uh, one of the founders put a note out on Facebook back in August of 2020, I think, that they were just looking for people to help out. And uh, I wrote, and I think they were looking for fabricators at the time, but I knew this person said, are you looking for anybody besides fabricators? And like, sure, come meet the other founders. 
So I went down, met with them and they explained what they're doing. And it was just pretty breathtaking. It's like, wow, this is really awesome. What a neat idea. And so I just got involved by assisting with them a little, with them a little bit on their pricing, on some business planning, helping to secure some loans and got kind of like, you know, the old joke, you know, the difference between the chicken and pig when it comes to breakfast, I, I got less like the chicken and more like the pig over time. And here I am bacon and all. I love that analogy. That's amazing. I haven't actually heard that one, but oh, it's no? really appropriate. No, I haven't. I don't know how I've never well, heard that, but I haven't. More like three favorite business jokes. So, or, <laughs> or, or mountain biking jokes when you find yourself on a trail, when you're in way over your head. So. <laughs> oh, I've never done that before. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe just once or twice. Yeah, once All or right. Twice. So, so you became the CEO and, mm -hmm. and this is a new role for you. And so. Yeah. How did you make that leap? You've been in economic development for, for right. much of your career, for most of your career. So how, you know, how did you make that leap and, and why did you know that you wanted to be a CEO, especially of a startup? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I think a lot of your life is really about, it's kind of a, you know, you have to go down some different paths to get what you want out of life, right? As an economic developer, and I was in economic development for almost 16 years, I often thought, you know, as an economic developer, I'm here to help grow businesses, but I've never actually grown a business. I'd probably better served if I went and actually helped grow a business for five or 10 years or something like that to come back and be a, be better at this profession as well. So it had always been something kind of in the back of my mind is like, wow, wouldn't it be great to be part of a growing business or help grow a business? I wasn't, it wasn't a CEO role I was looking for per se. That was, I wanted to be one of the decision makers in the company. But as we got, to, as the founders and I got to know each other, that sort of became the role. They said, well, why don't you take this role on? I said, okay, uh, that sounds daunting. Um, and challenging. And that sounds great. Um, you know, I, I jokingly told them, I said, well, if you knew what you needed from a CEO, you wouldn't hire me. And if I knew what a CEO was supposed to be doing, I probably wouldn't take this job. So let's go for it. And that's one of the things. So I wanted to help grow a company. And I see this as a huge opportunity to learn and grow myself professionally at the same time. Right. And then finally, I think too, it's important. And maybe we'll touch on this later is like, you've got to do something you're really passionate about. You know, if somebody come up and said, Hey, I'd like to start a biotech company or something. I might've been like, well, great, have fun. Cause it's just not something that really gets me excited and, and gets me up in the morning, but a manufacturing company, I've always been interested in manufacturing and doing something that's helping communities through the private side. So a lot of times I tell my former contacts and network, I'm like, I'm still doing economic development. I'm just in the private side instead of the public or nonprofit side now. Yeah, I love that. That's a great way to look at it. And what's the biggest challenge that you faced as a first-time CEO? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question, Kara. I'd say it's any day that ends in Y is the biggest challenge you face. But, you know, I think the biggest challenge is scaling your expectations and skills as the company grows and matures. Because some of the things that I thought were as a challenge when we first started is now just stuff you look back on and go, whatever. So, you know, for example, last year, as you know, steel prices were just going straight up. And that was, you know, the big worry. And what do we do about that? And I was giving these big pep talks like, raw, we're a team, we can make it through. This year it's like, it's steel prices. We raise our prices. Next question. You know, it's, you just learn that, right? So as the company grows, as you grow, as you change, as, a, as an executive, uh, whether you're a CEO or, or CFO or anything else, you're going to be, especially as a CEO, but other roles too, you're going to be hit by challenges from all sorts of different directions, pretty much any direction imaginable. Um, and some of them you're going to think are really fun. Like, you know, you know, my background in data analysis and stuff. So if we're trying to figure out pricing to me, that's just fun. But there's other things that it's not your background. You haven't dealt with this before and you're, you feel it way over your head. 
And uh, there, there's some, sometimes that's, that can be really tough. And so I think the other challenge is like learning, you know, how do I learn from this? What do I do? Cause we can't afford to sit around in indecision for a month. You know, how do we get this going in a couple of days? So it's, it comes and goes, there's all sorts of challenges every day. Some of them are great. Some of them aren't so great knowing that uh, you can grow with this and that your challenges are going to change over time too, is, is the real key. And that's probably the biggest challenge that you face. Yeah. I can attest to that after doing this for 15 years. Uh, my husband says to me all the time, he's like, you just don't get stressed about anything. And I said, that's because I used to get stressed about everything. And I just realized that, you know, it, that it comes and it goes and that the things that were really hard to deal with, like you said, it just isn't that big of a deal. And with experience, you see that you're going to get through it and that you can be actually be really successful going through something that's very difficult. You can learn so much. So I think that's a really great point and something that you'll continue to learn on your journey is that the stuff that you thought was a really big deal, you, it just isn't. And you'll be able to handle stress so much better, better than you do now because you've been there, you've done that, you've survived it, you've learned mm -hmm. from it, and you were more resilient this time around. And I think that's what makes it fun in the end, Carrie, is as long as it's new challenges, that means you're still learning and growing. And that's the part. If it's the same challenge over and over again, you're probably doing something wrong or you're a line cook. <laughs> One of the two. I totally agree. Speaking of line cooks, they do uh, have to handle pressure pretty heavily in the kitchen, as you do in a startup. <laughs> How do you handle the pressure? I remember just, I remember that was one of the hardest jobs I ever had was working on a line cook assembly. I was the slowest person there. And they were kind of like, Roger, hurry up, Roger. Roger, we're going to fire you. It's like, please do. I can't make fries any faster. I don't know what. To... So yeah, I, I get it. The rush hour is a rush hour. All right. So how do you handle the pressure of a startup? Was it like you did back then or, or are you better at handling pressure? <laughs> getting, well, you can always ask my wife to find out if I'm getting better or not. I think so. Yeah, there's a few different things that I like to do. And you probably share some of this because we live in a small town in the mountains of Colorado. So there's definitely the recharge is absolutely necessary. Um, so, and the recharge for me, it probably is the same for you as like going out and getting some exercise. Um, one thing I've learned over the last several years is, you know, when you're younger, you think, oh my gosh, what a hard day. Let me go drink myself into oblivion, but drinking doesn't do anything. You know, it just, you just wake up in the middle of the night and you have to pee and the problem just seems worse. So, but going out for a good run or a good day with skiing or something makes a big difference. And with that, there's also this moment I find in the day where I just have to say, stop. And let's go focus on my wife. Let's go focus on my daughter. Let's see what's going on in their life. And just, you just turn and you put your attention on them and you just kind of turn off that, that work clock for a couple hours at least. And then maybe after your kid's gone to bed, then you can go back and check your emails and make sure you're prepped for the next day. But I think that's just important is to just be able to shut that mindset off for a little while and just focus on other people. I think that makes a big difference as well. Um, yeah. I think too, the, another important thing is, uh, like I said, you find the passion that inspires you. You know, like I said, if it was just here to make money or it was just some random business, that would be really difficult when you get into those challenging times, but this isn't, it's about more than that. And then I think you never forget the successes you've had as a company. And one of the things that we're all proud of, um, and you've heard us say this before is that we made over a million dollars of sales in our first full year of operation. And that's a huge achievement. People. I didn't even appreciate that until you, you mentioned that and people go, you did what? Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it really is. And so, Hey, we did that. Now we're having another challenging time. We can get through this because we've already done some remarkable things as a small business. So, you know, celebrate those successes for sure. 
Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. That's a great view uh, viewpoint to have. If you get pulled down by all of the challenges that you have, you can lose sight of the bigger picture. And celebrating the wins is the fastest way to remember, hey, this is all worth it. I mean, that's what we try to do at Stone Age all the time is, you know, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. With this crazy volatile wor world, you never know what's going to be thrown at you. So let's just celebrate the wins. And I do think that that helps people keep the bigger picture in perspective and be able to handle the pressure a little bit more. So tell us how your leadership views have changed since becoming a CEO. You know, it comes back to those challenges you face, right? I think because I, my background was in you know, municipal planning and economic development, you know, I used to focus a lot on strategy and planning. So what's your strategy and how do you plan on getting there and how do you fill that out? And those are really important things. You can't just go willy nilly. You've got to stay focused on those things. And they're, they're not easy, but at the same time, there's some more, there are other things that are just as important or perhaps more important. So obviously in the private sector sales, right? <laughs> that's, that's not something, you know, one of my friends who's an auditor for a, uh, for a city in Kansas said the other day is like, we were having coffee over virtually. He said, yeah, it's kind of funny when I hear local governments complaining about revenue because they have a fixed revenue stream coming in every year. It's, it's not like it goes away. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that. But sales are a big deal, right? But beyond sales, the two now that it really come to my mind that I used to not appreciate as much is the importance of your operations and the importance of your team. Because if you can't deliver what you say you're going to deliver to your client, you're dead. It doesn't matter how timely your product is. You know, I jokingly say that someday I'm going to start a coffee shop up in Hatch because in Hatch, New Mexico, there's no coffee shop. I'm like, how can this tourist town not have a coffee shop? But if you make bad coffee, it doesn't matter, right? You're, 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 you have a promise you're delivering to your customers. Um, you have to execute on that promise or you, all the sales in the world won't, won't come to fruition. And that really relies on having a great team, not just on who you hire, but how you develop and how your team develops over time together. Um, so those two have really become much more important from my perspective in, in, in leading a company than they used to be. Yeah, I agree. I think that the number one priority of a great leader, a great CEO is building the team. You just can't do it without a team. And I think a lot of people put that second, third, fourth, fifth, last on the list, but it should be the top priority. You cannot scale without it. And a lot of people don't, I think, put as much forethought into how do I develop my team? How do I support them? How do I give them career, help them with their career development plans? All of those things really, really matter as you're scaling a company. So I think that's really noble. You know how hard it is to find those right people. But I think the yeah. second thing too is, I think you have to be, well, maybe not, but I feel like um, as a startup, you have to be more nimble about how you develop your team because you just yeah. don't have the resources you do as you're a bigger company. I feel, I mean, you can tell, you can say otherwise, <laughs> you've got a bigger company I than I do. You're spot on, totally spot on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, those teammates have to wear multiple hats and they might have to wear a hat oh, yeah. that their talents don't align with what's done, what their duties of that role require. And that's tough. So takes a lot of work. There was, yeah. There was literally three days last summer when me and the founders were on the floor fabricating stuff and you go home and you take a shower and you smell burnt steel coming out of your hair for the next two days, but yeah. it had to be done. And it was a blast. And we learned a lot about our own company as a result. Yeah, and we're not really qualified cool. to do that, <laughs> but you had to do it. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. That's for sure. And have you developed a leadership mantra or belief system through all of this? You know, there's some things that I think over time I've learned or tried to learn, 
like one of the earliest lessons I ever had was, you know, give credit and take blame. So, and I don't mean that unnecessarily, but you know, when it's like you said, it's a team effort. So, you know, acknowledge the team when things go well and when things don't go well, you know, acknowledge your role and what happened, you know, don't try to do the reverse where you give, where you take credit and give blame, right? That's that we've all had those leaders and it doesn't work well. From my nonprofit times, I really find that leading together or collaboratively is a big deal. And when you have to take the lead on something as the CEO, make sure that you're acting in accordance with the principles you have as an organization. So maybe it seems like it slows things down, but to say, you know, to spend 15 minutes at a meeting saying, what does the executive team, what do you think we should do in situation A, B, or C? Well, if you walk into the meeting, you say, I think we should do this. You're probably going to spend 15 minutes trying to just convince people that that's the right thing to do. And you won't have the buy-in that you will, if other people come to the same conclusion or a better conclusion as a result of, you know, talking it out. And then I think the main thing, and, and Carrie, you and I have talked about this, it's, it's kind of tied about asking good questions, but just talk less, listen more. And I think that's like, it'd be a mantra that any leader repeats every morning. Talk less, listen more, because I don't think you can ever do enough listening or too little talking, right? It's just something that we all kind of default into as a reverse. So, And how are you uh, intentionally developing the culture at Mod Street with this focus on, on building teams? A really good question. Going back to that, you have to be nimble because again, there's a lot that comes into um, just having to find out ways to do it when you're, when you're a startup that maybe you have more resources when you're a bigger company, but um, we have taken time last fall to start coming up with a culture statement. Um, we interviewed our employees, we talked between ourselves, and we came up with a statement. And it's kind of cool because you can see some of the impact. So, you know, one of the things is we call ourselves the Mod Squad. And just today I was down on the floor and as I was walking back through, they had used the laser or, or plasma cutter to cut out Mod Squad and put it above the door. And that's kind of cool. It's like, wow, they, they, you can see that people really value that kind of uh, team name, I'd say. But, you know, the cultural statement too, we've come up with mod squads, part of it. Um, we talk about doing things the right way, R-I-G-H-T, and that, you know, stands for something. It stands for respect, integrity, growth, hard work, and together. So we've looked at that before as an executive team and we said, okay, you know, are we doing what we say we want to do with this? And the other thing that I've asked the executive team is like, okay, now that we've had some time to look at this, are there elements here that either we not are not fully apparent or that we need to explain more or maybe we're not doing something here because it's not really a core for our values so i think that's part of the thing too and for, you know, we've learned a lot of this from you carrie right but it's an iterative process to develop anything whether it's a mission statement a vision statement a strategy and the culture is the same way um it's got to be a reflection both of who you want to be and who you are at the same time and that becomes kind of this process you just work through over the years so we're, we're on the beginning of that at this point. Yeah, really well said. Really well said. I like that. All right. Wrapping it up with two final questions. Uh, the name of this podcast is Reflect okay. Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? So I think reflect, like I'm staring up at the ceiling right now. Reflect is like, look back on what you've done, what's gone well, what hasn't. And forward is how do you apply that to what's coming up for you as a company or as a person? So, you know, using your experience, I think to guide where you're going. That's, that's kind of what it means to me. And how do you implement that in your work and life? That's a good question. How would I implement that? I think just thinking about it. So what have we experienced? How are we going to do things differently? 
as a result. So, or what can we learn from that in order to do things better next time? So you know, one of the, one of the challenges we've recently faced a business, I just looked and said, what can I, what have I learned from this? What can I do better? So we're less likely to hit that in the future. I'm like, okay, X, Y, and Z. And one of the things I don't do well, even though I've got a lot of notes around is I don't write down enough notes. And I think that's something I need to do more of is, you know, make notes. Okay. This situation, here's how it was resolved. This situation, here's what went wrong, or here's what went right. Here's what to do again. Here's a practice to implement. So I think that's where I would look for that. That's great. That's great. Thank you for that uh, inner self-awareness and putting you on the <laughs> spot with that question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. And if you had one piece of advice for leaders who want to be exceptional at what they do, what would it be? I think the biggest thing would really be to be humble. It's so tempting when you come into a role like this, whether again, and Carrie, you were there at the Alliance when I was there. Um, and now this, you're so tempted, like, okay, I'm coming in as this executive role. So I have to demonstrate that people are getting their worth out of me. The, it's not the reality. It's you're coming in to do a job. You're coming in because you do have some skills, but you don't know everything. And there's no need to think that by admitting that, that people are going to look down on you for it. I mean, you don't. So, you know, don't be afraid to admit when you've made a mistake, uh, you know, seek advice from others and feedback from others. Um, you know, acknowledge the team that goes into making for a winning and successful company. And those things that kind of put you second, um, or at least not like the sole, the sole person of the company. I think that's really critical. And that, that humility can be hard because you're, you're in kind of this leadership position and you know, people are looking up to you and uh, it can be tempting to just say, well, maybe I'm the one that has to know all the, no, don't just, you know. Be modest and, and, and let, let your work, let your work or the company speak for who you are and who your company is. Oh, that's so beautiful. I think that has to be one of my favorite answers to this question. No. What was really your, what's good. your second favorite? What's your second favorite answer then? Oh, <laughs> I've, had, I've had some good ones, but that one, that one was excellent. <laughs> oh. Well, thanks. All right. So wrapping things up, how can people find you and how can they find Mod Street? Sure. Well, Mod Street's in Durango, Colorado. So if you ever want to visit us and you're on vacation, you're always free to contact us and we'll be happy to give you a tour or meet you. Um, our website is modstreet, M-O-D street.co, not C-O, com, not com, dot C-O. So modstreet.co. And uh, I can be reached at roger at modstreet.co via email. That's great. And are you on LinkedIn? Yes, but don't ask me what my LinkedIn address is. It's Roger Zonoritis and I'm the, oh. I'm not the one that's not the flight flight um, instructor. So that that's me. <laughs> oh, you're one of three Rogers Alnoritis. No, no, no. My dad was a flight instructor. I'm the, oh, he's, he's gotcha, the, gotcha. <laughs> though he'd probably insist he's got enough personality for two people, but that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll include all those in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and, uh, and sharing your insight and your journey as a first time CEO. I really appreciate it. This was so much fun. Right. Thanks, Carrie. It's been great. I'll talk to you soon. I'm sure. Yep. All right. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Please join me for advice from a CEO on next week's Reflect Forward. And if you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, subscribe to it, share it. That always helps with the algorithms. Thanks so much.